I don't think that we can ever give praise enough for our musicians and our song leaders and those who give it their time and effort. And um, it just brings us to a place of worship as we prepare. I think that most of you realize, and I hope all of you husbands do remember, that Tuesday is a very special day, right? It's Valentine's Day, and today I'm going to start a series of sermons from 1 Corinthians 13, which is known as the love chapter in the Bible. And I entitled this series, What's Love Got to Do With It? I want to give thanks before I start to two of my mentors and, and teaching pastors when I was in seminary, Drs. Melvin Newland and uh, Dr. Fred Craddock. They taught me a lot about love, and they taught several series on love, and I'm going to use a lot of what they taught me throughout the next few weeks because I think it's a shame that we have uh, mentors and people we respect in our lives, and a lot of people never get to hear some of their thoughts too. So I'm going to intermingle them with what I've got. Just want to tell you that up front. So it's Valentine's weekend. I got off to a great start. I got to officiate a wedding yesterday, and there's nothing more associated with Valentine's than love and weddings. Friday night, for those of you who came, I understand you had a wonderful Valentine's banquet here. I'm sorry that we didn't make it, but we had that rehearsal that night, and we hated to miss. But when you think about Valentine's, I remember a study that I read one time about a group that a pastor had together of young adults and they were discussing this subject, how do you say I love you to someone? One lady to answer that said, she said, oh, I, I got that one. I got you all beat. She said, I want to tell you how my husband popped the question. And this is going to make some of us guys look bad, so I'm going to tell you up front. Um, she said, we, I was with a group of my girlfriends, and all of a sudden, my boyfriend showed up unexpectedly he was wearing his best suit he was carrying flowers and he in front of everybody he took one knee he got down knelt before me and he asked me to marry him it's pretty impressive another lady said that her father she remembered one time that after her mother had, had a hectic week and things were just astir that her father found her gone one afternoon and snuck home and cleaned the house to the best of his abilities to show his love for her. One young man told that his mother used to write notes on his bananas that she would put in his lunchbox. And he said, if I wasn't having a banana, there'd be a note on uh, either a dessert or a sandwich, notes placed in there. So we knew, she wanted me to know how much she loved me. And I think the one that tugged at me the most was truly, there was a young lady that told about her father who sold his prized shotgun in order to pay for her college textbooks one year. Now, that's, that's true love. Now, on Valentine's Day, we have a lot of different ways of saying how we love. We say that we love people through cards, through flowers, through candy, or even going out. And there's so many other ways. We can say, I love you, in so many different ways. But in reality... I think we all need to understand that love is, is more about what we do than what we say. We have to put it in action. We have to let people see our actions. Now, with that in mind, I want us to talk about love. Something that goes hand in hand with love is kindness. And we're going to talk about kindness later in this series. But today I want to talk about some other examples of what love requires us to do. 
There was a story that was told a few years ago about an actor who was playing Jesus in um, the Passion Play. And this was not just a simple Passion Play. It was one where they started at some point and they worked their way to the cross and then they went on down to the uh, place of the resurrection in the tomb. And the actor was carrying his cross up this long hill. And there was a heckler over here, for some reason, started here. You can't carry that cross. You're too weak. Why'd they pick you to be Jesus of all people? And he kept going and he kept going. And the guy that was playing Jesus tried his best to hold his temper. But he couldn't. And he walked over and he threw his cross down and he punched the guy in the face. <laughs> well, as soon as the play was over, here was the play director waiting for him. He said, come here. He said, I know he was a pest, but I got to fire you. I just can't have somebody behaving the way you behave, playing the part of Jesus. And the guy begged him, just give me one more chance. Please, just give me one more chance. He said, I'll give you one more chance. Next day, same thing. He's headed up the hill. Same heckler there. He was worse this time because he was mad. Guy, you could, he could, Jesus was clenching his fist and you could just see his face getting red and he walked over to the guy and he looked at him and he said, I'll meet you after the resurrection. <laughs> now, you know, um, sometimes it's hard for those of us who profess to be Christians to behave like Christians should, right? We try to carry our crosses, but when somebody crosses us, uh, we tend to lose our composure and we begin to behave much of the same way as the world behaves. We forget that we are children of God and what he calls us to do. Now, there, the Bible teaches us that we're to exercise love in all our relationships with one another. And I already see some faces cringing out there. All our relationships. Listen to these words from Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with all man and to be holy. Now those two verses are saying the same thing. They're saying that, that even though it's difficult to love people, So, we have to live in harmony with everyone. So I'm beginning a series of sermons this week that, that tell us how to deal with people and how to get along with people from a biblical perspective and what God requires of us. As I said earlier, 1 Corinthians 13 is indeed called the love chapter.
it to poor people, and if I were burned alive for preaching the gospel, but didn't love others, it would be of no value whatsoever. Love is very patient. Love is kind. It's never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him, no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. All the special gifts and powers from God will someday come to an end, but love goes on forever. Someday prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge these gifts will disappear. Now we know so little, even with our special gifts and the preaching, the need for these inadequate special gifts will come to an end, and they will disappear. It's like this. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned like a child does. But when I became a man, my thoughts grew far beyond those of my childhood, and now I have put away the childish things. In the same way, we can see and understand only a little about God now, as if I were peering at his reflection in a poor mirror. But someday we are going to see him in the, his completeness, face to face. Now, all that I know is hazy and blurred, but then I will see everything clearly, just as clearly as God sees into my heart right now. There are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Please bow with me as we pray. Lord, be with us as we get into your word. Open our hearts, our minds, and our souls. And let us not only hear, but let us go forth and do as you commanded when we leave today. For it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. This morning I want to concentrate on the first three verses. Uh, if you read verse 1, Paul is saying, he said, I want to show you the best way to care of virtually every situation, and that way is love. And then he points out that love is more important than several other things that we as Christians know and believe are very important to us too. Paul says that love is more important than spiritual gifts. He said, if I speak in tongues of men and angels but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now if you remember... On the day of Pentecost, and you probably know this, but Pentecost gets his name from being 50 days after Easter. And on Pentecost, the first gospel sermon that was ever preached was preached. And God gave his apostles the special gifts of being able to speak in languages they had never heard before. Languages they didn't really understand so that the people hearing them could understand what was being said. Paul went on to say, he said, if God gave him the gift of speaking these languages, even the heavenly language, but he didn't have love, then he would be nothing. He said it would be nothing more than a gong or a clanging cymbal. Now this is where exegesis of the scriptures come in, and you may know this, but if you do, I want to remind you. Back in the first century, standing outside of every place of worship in the pagan temples, there was a gong or a giant symbol hanging there. 
And when people came to worship, uh, they would hit this gong to awaken the gods so that they would listen to their prayers. So Paul is saying, even if I were so blessed to be able to speak with the greatest of eloquence in every language, but didn't have love, he said that my life would be as useless as the ridiculous act of pounding on a gong to awaken non-existent gods. You see, love is more than any spiritual gift that God may have given us. In the second verse, we're told that love is more important than knowledge. It says, if I have the gift of prophecy, and I want to stop right there for a minute, because prophecy, if you go back and study the origin of the word that is used here, it doesn't mean uh, foretelling the future, but it means teaching and preaching. Pastors today prophesy the word when they're in the pulpit. But if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. Paul says, if you know it all, if you know everything there is to know about nuclear science, if you know everything there is to know about medicine and philosophy and psychology and every other ology there is in the world, if you know it all, but you do not have love, then you're nothing at all. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says this, Knowledge puffs you up, but love builds you up. Now, I know some of you people, you've run into people that you know that are like that, that think they know everything, right? And they're hard to be around, aren't they? You'd much rather be around somebody that has less knowledge but loves everybody and that does what God invites us to do or commands us to do in loving everyone else. I don't think we need near as much knowledge as we need love in this world because the hearts of people need to change and that would be us before society will ever change. Until we bring the love of God in a truly active place in our heart, this world is not going to change. It's up to us to do that. The third thing that we're told in these scriptures is love is more important than faith. And some of you are going, what? Now, it doesn't say that, love, that faith is not important, but it just says that love is more important than faith. If I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. But what about your faith this morning? What do you believe for sure this morning? Do you believe that, that um, God is the creator of the world? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is his only begotten son and he came into the world and lived a sinless life and then he died and was buried and was resurrected on the third day again? Do you believe that he now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and he's preparing a place for us and that one day he's going to come back again. I hope you do believe that. And if you believe those things, that's good. And you're to be commended for that as Christians. We have to believe that. But the Bible says that if you believe that all things are right things, but you do not have love, then you're nothing. Because even faith is no value unless it's backed up by love. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Everybody knows that story. Becky's used it down here with her kids not long ago. The priest and the Levite in the parable had faith. But the problem was they did not have any love because they walked on the other side of the road and left the man lying there to die in the ditch. Faith, yes. Love, 
No, it didn't do him any good to have that faith. Galatians 5, 6 says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Scripture goes on to say love is more important than generosity. If I give everything I have, all my possessions, and surrender my body even to flames for preaching, but have not love, I gain nothing. There's something underlying there that we need to hear. Notice it doesn't say if I give 10%. It says if I empty my bank account, if I cash in all of my insurance policies, if I give everything I have to help the poor, if I even sacrifice myself for the love of God, but I don't have love, then I gain nothing at all. See, generosity in itself is not enough. I'm sure you, like I do, get calls all the time from people appealing for funds for some worthwhile charity or some worthwhile cause. But why do we give? Do you give because the preacher has just preached a sermon on tithing and stewardship? Do you feel guilty if you don't? Is that why you give? Do you give because you want to impress others around you with what you're capable of giving and what you do give? If, if that... If the only reason I give is to receive a benefit to myself, then love is absent and that makes giving empty. The motive for giving should be love. Love for God and love for God's people. So just to recap here, Paul says that love is more important than spiritual gifts, knowledge, faith, and generosity. We have to practice love in our everyday lives. So obviously, uh, love is very important. And if you listen this morning as Cassie read the scripture from John 13, verse 34 says, A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Not you ought to try. Not I hope you love everybody. It's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. Jesus says, you must. And let me tell you this. I've learned over my lifetime, God never commands us to do anything that we cannot do. He will never ask us of anything. So yes, even those people that we strongly dislike, we can love them if we put God first in our lives. Now we tend to think that love is something that just happened, right? Because that's what the world teaches. You fall in love kind of like you fall in a ditch. You fall, you fall out of love kind of like falling out of a tree if you think about it. You can't help it. It's something that just happens. And we sing about church. We had some beautiful songs this morning. We sing about love in church and everyday lives. I'm going to put somebody on the spot. Cassie and I go back a long way. Long. Too long to remember. <laughs> and, and I was very comfortable asking her to read the scripture this morning. But I'm going to be very honest with you, um, even though she's a great Sunday school teacher, and she is, and she's a great reader, I got a little anxious when she got up here this morning because those of you who are not in our Sunday school class might not know that any time you put a microphone in front of Cassie, <laughs> she's going to sing. So I just imagined, I said over here, I said, oh, she saw the sermon series title, and I could just see her belting out Tina's Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It? <laughs> 
She might, she started to, she might do it later. Uh, but anyway, we, we do remember love songs, don't we? And you younger people are going to have to bear with me because I probably don't know any of your current love songs. But as old guys will remember Jackie DeShannon singing, What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love, right? Or Elvis, I Can't Help Falling in Love with You. Or the Righteous Brothers, You've Lost That Loving Feeling. And moving forward a little bit, The Doors, Hello, I Love You, Won't You Tell Me Your Name? <laughs> or my favorite, The Beatles, She Loves You, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Now that's really deep stuff right there. But we know that love is important in our lives. The Bible teaches us that love is something that we cannot control. God commands us to love one another, which means I can decide to love you, and you in turn can decide to love me. So we're not in a hopeless situation here. We just all have to practice that. In Philippians 4.2, we want to look at what, what kind of love is actually being talked about here. It says, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. In other words, to love in the same way that Jesus loved. Think about it. Think about their interest. And, and just as you think about yourself, uh, think about the interest of others. You have to become unselfish if you truly love someone. Now let's apply that to several different areas. First of all, I think that should work in our family. Let's suppose that someone who represents every family that's here with us this morning or that's watching us online would decide to say, okay, I'm going home and I'm going to put this into practice. I'm going to show love more. Start with your spouse if you're married. You ought to love your husband or you ought to love your wife first and foremost. You ought to be kinder, more tender, more gentle, to them, even if they're being a jerk. Now, I'm not saying anyone here has ever been a jerk, you know, but if you have not been, um, I'm sure you've read it about, read about it or you know somebody that has been one. You know how it acts. Uh, begin first with your marriage relationship. Make it be love in action. And when you do that, if you do that, pretty soon it's gonna filter down to your children maybe even spill over to your in-laws and everybody else in the family just because you love them. And once we do that, what's gonna happen? It's gonna, it's gonna come down to uh, spilling over into our church family. You don't have to look right now, but you need to love the person that's sitting to your left and your right. God commands us to do that. John 13, 35, that Cassie read said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, we sing that song too. They will know we are Christians by our love. Um, that's the way the world will find out if you're truly a committed Christian. That's the message that Christ is telling Easter. If we love the way he tells us to and we develop that in our lives, we will have the same kind of compassion for people that Jesus had. Dr. Newland, one time in one of our lectures, told a story about a friend who rented the movie Free Willy. Y'all remember Free Willy? 
I don't know if the kids still get to watch it now or not, but they need to. It's a great movie. He said he was watching it with his grandchildren, and he said he had one of his grandsons was five years old and said he was enthralled in that movie. He said he put his little chair right up close to the TV and he didn't move for two hours as he watched the movie. He said his eyes were fixed on the screen and he was mesmerized. He watched everything. He said at times you could see tears in his eyes and you could see him laugh when he was supposed to laugh. He was totally caught up in the movie. Can you ever remember being caught up in something and so identifying with what's going on that you actually become involved in the story? That's compassion. And that causes us to ask ourselves some tough questions. If we have compassion for the world through the eyes of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, what's it like to hurt deep down and, and to know you're hurting and um, you don't feel like you can tell anybody that you're hurting? What is it like being sick and knowing that you're not going to get well and wanting more than anything else to live? What's it like to be handicapped? What's it like to be a minority? What's it like to be dealing with marital problems or domestic problems that others don't know about? What's it like? See, the kinds of burdens that people are carrying, we have to care enough to help them bear those burdens. That's what it means when Jesus talks about loving one another as he loved us. Someone once said this, they will not care how much we know until they know how much we care. See, there is a more excellent way, and that's the way of love, and it's the way of Jesus Christ. My hope this week is that as we leave here today that we would live out Jesus' command to love one another. Not only his command to love one another, but to love others as he has loved us unconditionally and with our whole heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Philip's going to come and lead us in our um, hymn of commitment. Philip, what are we going to be singing?